Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to Oregon attorneys Sherry and Tyler Smith in their war against liberalism. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And today is Friday, December 16th in the year 2022. We have a great interview tonight with attorney uh, Tyler Smith and his wife, Sherry Smith. They're an amazing couple that have come together. They live up in Canby, Oregon, and it's going to give you a really great perspective on how two people are just constantly building their lives around fighting for their children and fighting the bigger fight of the legal craziness of Oregon to protect the Constitution. Great couple, inspiring in everything that they do. So I hope you really enjoy this. Before we begin tonight, I want to draw your attention to something very important, and that would be arm yourself and be prepared for crazy. You know how passionate I am about our Constitution and especially the Second Amendment, but just as passionate about being responsible and protecting my family. I discovered the perfect way to train with your firearm in the comfort of your own home and continue to improve your skills. It's called iTarget Pro, and this system is a game changer for me. All I did was download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into my firearm, and start training. The system develops muscle memory, reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger control, and much more. Right now, save 10% plus get free shipping with the offer code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, when you go to iTargetPro.com. With the cost of ammo through the roof, this is the perfect solution for you. That's the letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com. The offer code is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. This is something you definitely need. Great product, something to check out. It's also a great Christmas gift. So, Patriots, as you know, we're kind of in the day after of the nuclear bomb that went off yesterday called the NFT spandex trading cards by President Trump. I don't know if anybody managed to get their great cards. I did manage to totally avoid that. <laughs> which I'm like ignored it. And then suddenly we get the announcement. It's like, Oh, we sold out. I'm like, good, glad, happy for you. Not trading it, not collecting it. Don't really care. But in other issues that are more important, we have an unraveling right now, a very real issue of, of unraveling of information. It's big. It's important to understand the magnitude of what's coming out and it's changing things. People are waking up radically and quickly, and it's very good to see, finally. We have the awareness of children that is percolating up to being talked about in almost every day in some fashion or another, and that's the exploitation and abuse of children, the teachers that have turned their back on normalcy and started to mind-rape the children every day, the absolute destruction of education in our public education systems and the mainstreaming of pedophilia. We have the entire attack of the left being exposed for what it really is, a villainous and hateful move to try to destroy the Constitution, make us all 
transgender and gender confused and push us into some sort of dystopian hell that they seem to think is a good idea, probably because most of them are demons anyway. But in the midst of all of this, there are heroes that come out of this. One of the things that we lack is a in this country are great attorneys that have the spine to stand up to this. And when I say great, that doesn't mean they're allowed. Attorneys tend to be very steady and very methodical, and they look for the long game. And that's what I really hope you hear tonight, because so much of what this fight is, is a legal fight. We were taken off guard by a very aggressive left that infiltrated the legal system, the political system, the educational system, and they used that to weaponize their agenda to try to destroy America from within. That is something I will never let go. When I say that, when we talk about justice, I'll I'll be happy to pray for them, but they're going to pay a price for what they try to do to this nation and to strip God from our life. That just doesn't change. But in that process of resetting the nation, we need to have great attorneys that can stand and fight. And to have a great attorney, there's going to have to be a family model that works in the same parallel. That's what's special about Sherry and Tyler Smith is Sherry has taken on the fight through the school boards, home education to protect the children and to help other children, while Tyler has taken on the lead to take on the big agendas here in Oregon, including the most recent draconian thing that they've done, which is Measure 114, which everybody should be paying attention to because this is going to end up in the Supreme Court. This is a measure that is now mandated that in order to get a, a weapon, you have to buy the weapon, then go through training that's approved by the state police, then have a background check that matches, and then you're limited to magazine control. So all of this is we know is unconstitutional, but unfortunately, what, as we have gone through our life and allowed these small measures to be put in place in the state and in local county measures, and we've allowed the retarded liberals to take place take their position in prominent roles and to try to create a tyrannical system, the real fight ultimately is going to remain at a county and a state level. The federal, the federal issue is not our big fight because remember the one thing about federal is that federal, when it is really reset, retracts back to giving states a high measure of autonomy. The biggest center point to all of this that we know is the corrupted election system. And again, look to Oregon to see where they want the country to go. Mail-in voting has been pushed in Oregon mainstream mail-in voting back in 1998 or 1999. Since that went into effect, we have not had a, a Republican governor since. That's no accident. Our voting system is one of the most corrupt in the nation, bar none. We have 104% of our voter rolls that are active. Figure that one out. I don't know where that four <laughs> more people voting than there are in the state. I love it. And unfortunately, it is, it's done just offhandedly, and people are so tired here. And I mean that. This is what they do. They grind people down. Now, to Oregon's credit, we have 33 counties that are red. In this last election of uh, Measure 114, apparently seven counties betrayed the Constitution. In my world, as you know, I would be things like taking those seven counties and I would giving themselves a little wall around them and call them their own damn country, and then I would wage war on them physically. But that's another story for another day. Nonetheless, Oregon is, is an example of what many states are going through where we're literally blackmailed by one primary county. And when you add to that, and that county is Multnomah, where Portland, Oregon is. When you add to that the corruption of the election system, there's all sorts of hell that they can create on the state to make the other counties subservient to their insanity that lives in Portland. 
that has to change over time. And the way it's going to change is going to be a persistent and constant process of measures at a county level where we are relentlessly putting things forward to challenge the state's authority and to ultimately break their authority and give the power back to the counties. What you're going to hear tonight is that sort of dedication of two people that are leading the way, in my opinion, they're really just all stars in this. And I hope you take all of that to heart as we look at what we can do in our local counties. Before we go, remember to protect your wealth. Patriots, will the lack of red wave during the midterms lead to a more emboldened Biden? More wasteful government spending? Higher taxes? A deepening of inflation? And how do you protect your hard-earned savings from chaotic financial markets? The answer? By diversifying your retirement savings with real physical precious metals with Birch Gold Group. Text BARDS to 989898 for a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. Birch Gold has almost 20 years experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs. Text BARDS to 989898 and claim your free no-obligation info kit now. Don't let the left devalue your savings. Own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account from Birch Gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers. Text BARDS to 989898 and secure your future with gold. Do it today. Text BARDS to 989898. Birch Gold's great people. They'll take good care of you. That's awesome. All right, Patriots, without further ado, let me introduce Sherry and Tyler Smith. Well, Patriots, today's actually a really special day for me because I'm getting to talk to a team, and this is led by Tyler and Turney and his wife, Sherry Smith, who have been fighting for the right things, the Constitution, 2A rights, and a variety of other things in this liberal state of mind, Oregon. And they are obviously Oregon-based. It's just going to be a great conversation today to hear some of the challenges and the ways in which these fights are waged from a lawfare perspective and just what it takes to be victorious. So Tyler and Sherry, welcome to the show. How are you guys? We are good, Scott. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Tyler, why don't you begin a little bit and just kind of talk to us about a little bit about yourself and your orientation of the firm. Sure. Hey, thanks, Scott. Thanks for all you do to organize and motivate and pray. And um, So our firm, uh, we've been doing this a little over 15 years now. Um, we're a small firm in Canby. The name of our firm is Rural, Rural Business Attorneys. Um, I started it because I wanted to um, be responsible and uh, report to God and myself in the cases that I choose and the things that we do and the fights that we take, um, because I knew that some other places you're not able to do that. And so what that has turned into over the last 15 years is sort of a, a conservative bastion of, of legal representation. Um, we fight you know, we fight two A cases, as you said. We fight a lot of um, First Amendment cases. We fight a lot of religious liberties cases. We represent a lot of churches and nonprofits and ministries and those kinds of things as well. The two A between Second Amendment sanctuary ordinances and now Measure One Fourteen has you know dominated in the last year or so. Prior to that, it was really um, the COVID fights. We were the ones that challenged the vaccine mandate. And the mask mandate, I guess the mask mandate was first. Um, we even um, challenged some of the 
opening and closing business regulations. So those are kind of, and those are the things that we do a lot of. We do a lot of election law. Um, I would guess that this sort of, I call it cause law, the, the, the fun stuff, if you will, for activists is probably 20 to 25% on a given year. And then we do business law where we go by rural business attorneys because we do regular business law, um, people that everything from starting your own business, running your own business, contracts, litigation, liens, collections. Um, we do a lot of administrative law, of course, when the government comes and tries to take away your professional license for some reason or another, or your business license, we represent those folks. And then buying and selling and estate planning for people that you know have their own business. Well, from what I know about law, those are a lot of hats you're wearing and a lot of domains of specialty that you cover. It's pretty impressive. Well, thanks. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, we don't do anything criminal or we don't do anything personal injury. So there's a lot of the law world that we don't handle, but it is, it's, it's a broad spectrum. Sherry, you've, your partner in this in many different ways. And so let's talk a little bit about your perspectives on these things. Some of the challenges that you're facing, especially in your area, you're in Canby and it's got its own problems of what I referred to at the beginning of the show, the liberal infestation. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, well, thank you, Scott. Yes. Um, so I will say for the most part, for the last 15 years, my focus has been raising our two children. Our son is 15 and our daughter is is 12. And so I have tried to, you know, help out with the office as much as I possibly can. But uh, my primary focus has been our children. Um, as far as here in, in Canby, um, you know, we are this, this little pocket that is, I don't know if I would say that we are still, you know, Metro Portland, but we're, if, you know, if we're not, we're just outside of of that area and uh, we sit right in between Oregon City and and Wilsonville and you know for many years people wanted to move to Canby for the schools they were excellent um you know and just a real you know small community that helped one another that you know was a, a farming community a lot of our areas you know unfortunately are getting gobbled up, you know, with housing developments and so forth. And, you know, we have just recently, you know, seen this infestation, if you will, of, you know, that that Portland creep where we've had um, city councilors who have tried to, you know, push the agenda in, in Canby. We've had, you know, the Transgender Day proclamation that was pushed. We've had drag queens uh, that have come for uh, promoting that that book, George, and, you know, just just trying to constantly push that agenda on our community and our kids. And so, you know, it's been a real struggle to try to to push back and to say no to this you know, indoctrination, or I've heard you say on your show, this, um, what is it? The, the mind, uh, what is it? The mind porn or, or the manipulation of our kids and, you know, and the way they're thinking, um, all the way, you know, K through 12 on up. And, you know, so we've, 
we've got this little coalition, I would say, in, in Canby that has has really come together and has tried to, you know, push back in these areas. And I would say that we have been, you know, successful in, in recent years. Um, I was actually elected to the Canby School Board in May of 2021, and myself and another Republican were uh, brought to the board, which now we actually have a 6-1 board, if you will, but there's only three of us that are actually willing to have a backbone and a spine to, to do anything. And so we're, this next election cycle, we're looking to kick one more um, spot to have a majority to really begin to make serious change in our schools. And then, you know, in, in city council, we were able to take uh, a couple more spots and get a majority, which then in turn forced probably one of our most radical uh, city councilors forced her to resign. And so, uh, so now, you know, there again, city council, we're trying to get that shaped um, back to reflect the community and the, the citizens of Canby. It's an interesting time that we're in because we definitely are, there's a wave that seems to have hit people suddenly. I would say most people weren't prepared for the impact. And that takes us also to some of the legal issues. Uh, Tyler, let's, let's talk about measure 114. Uh, just, it is hot on the news still. It's um, one of the most draconian gun rights amendments or gun amendments in the nation. I'm really questioning how it even got on the ballot. So what's your thoughts on this measure and how you're going about fighting it. Sure, yeah, it is. It's one of the most onerous, you know, and a comprehensive, if you will, um, gun regulations that's in the nation. Um, how we're going about fighting it is, um, this is one of those topics where it is currently under litigation. We were just in court. Uh, one of my associate attorneys was um, handling the fight in person in Harney County yesterday. So it's ongoing litigation um, that will eventually probably come to a full trial. But um, what happened yesterday was the, the Harney County Circuit Court judge was um, completing the process of the first you asked for a temporary restraining order. We obtained that and he uh, stopped the implementation of both the permit to purchase aspect of it. The permit to purchase aspect of Measure 114 essentially says you have to, one, apply for a permit. And once you get a permit to buy, then you have to go and have a training course. You have to, there's a permitting agent that has to check to see whether you've got mental fitness, do your background check. Um, once you um, have that approved, then you can go take a training course. And then if you complete all of those steps and pay your fees, then you can get your permit to have a firearm. Well, that's a very onerous and, and bureaucratic steps of a process just to purchase a firearm. So that's one of the things that we challenged. The next thing we challenged was the uh, capacity of the magazines. Um, here in Oregon's ballot measure 114, it has a provision that says if your fire, if your magazine is uh, readily capable of being restored, converted, or um, there's another adjective in there, um, to hold more than 10 rounds, then it's illegal. Supreme Court and some Supreme Court president has essentially established that the magazine is part of the firearm. 
So what that does is if you if your firearm is capable of having a magazine that holds more than 10 rounds, then that firearm itself is prohibited. So um, what it amounts to there is a complete ban on those particular firearms. And the firearms experts, gun dealers, FFL, de FFL dealers will tell you that's 80, 90% of all firearms can have a magazine that can hold or be uh, restored or converted to hold more than 10 rounds. So it's effectively a ban on about 80 or 90% of the firearms that are sold today. So what do you see as a future of that? Well, uh, ultimately, there's there's so much um, fervor on both sides of this issue. This is the kind of issue that will probably go all the way up to the Oregon Supreme Court in our case. And there's some federal cases that are out there right now. There's four of them at least um, that will probably go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, there's other cases in other jurisdictions. Sometimes these kinds of cases will, uh, particularly in the federal court, you know, other states have these things. There's one in New Hampshire right now. Um, so who knows which case from which state will end up going to the United States Supreme Court. For instance, back when we had we had one of the first um, compelled service for same-sex marriages in Sweet Cake's case. That was, that was my case. Um, we had one of the first cases in the nation in that. And now the most recent case that the Supreme Court of the United States is considering, it looks like they're going to, um, this is out of Colorado, it looks like they're going to strike that down. Well, Sweet Cakes was early on, and now there's multiple cases in multiple states that have gone all the way up. And so they start, they start um, narrowing the law and making the law more clear. Um, so that's probably what will happen is one of these states' challenges to these magazine capacities or the permit to purchases will make it to the Supreme Court, and then eventually they'll make a decision. So, Sherry, one of the issues about guns that is, I, I just find lunacy, but it's the this inculcation of fear that we're seeing, particularly at the school level. I And I don't really, I mean, like maybe give us a little bit of an insight because I don't know where this is coming from in the families. We were, we're a culture that, especially in rural communities, you're, you're in one, I, Roseburg is one. I'm still trying to rationalize how we got from a point of being rural communities insane to insane and emotionally driven on fear. Can you give a little bit of insight from that from a mother's perspective in, in, in your community? Well, I would say, Scott, a lot of this is being pushed by the unions. They are very focused and very driven on putting specific people, you know, their activists into specific roles, whether that is, you know, at the school board level, whether that is at the administration level, or whether they're teachers. And this has been, you know, a focus of theirs for, for many, many years. And, you know, it's not the only focus, clearly, uh, but it's it's one of those where if we can strip, you know, the the rights of parents, well, you know, your kids are in the school. They want that control over over our kids. And, you know, by having, you know, these these incidents and so forth, um, you know, that that's what's that's what constantly drives you know, this, this fear to where we have officers at schools, we have, um, 
you know, uh, checkpoints and so forth at other schools. But for myself, my kids aren't in the public school. Um, we actually have gone through, you know, kind of a full gamut where uh, when our son first started, he was in private school and then we homeschooled for a little while. And then we decided to to try public school and that lasted two years and we were done with it and went back to homeschooling and and now um, currently they are in, in private school. Um, so so as a mother, um, you know, I have always tried to do my best, not only to educate my kids, but to, to raise them right. And I don't believe and I don't want my kids to be in a position or in a place, you know, where, you know, they're they're worried about going to school and they're fearful of of going to school. In fact, I think it was just within the last two or three weeks, we had a, an incident where the school was on lockdown and, you know, they thought that there might've been, you know, a, a shooter or, you know, some kind of incident. And this is just happening more and more. Um, I think this in the last six months, we, this has been, I think the third one. And, you know, so it's just, it's difficult, you know, as a parent to see these changes happening. And I'm, I'm with you. I've heard you say many, many times as far as, you know, get your kids out of public school. And I'm right there with you. Um, that's, that's why we've chosen not to have them in public school, even though I'm on the school board. And, you know, it's just, it's difficult to see these changes happening in these rural communities because, like I said, that was that was something that attracted people to these areas was um, you know the the small community feel and the the feeling of of safety and being able to know your neighbors, know your area, and and have that that sense of of safety and trust in the place that you live. Absolutely. Tyler, you mentioned early on um, the point of sanctuary cities or even sanctuary counties. If I'm not mistaken, Douglas County is a sanctuary county. How does that factor in? And I, this kind of marries into what we were kind of that we were just speaking with, about here. With Ms. Sherry was talking about fear in local communities. Some communities are standing up and saying, "We're done with this." We're done with the state overreaching, done with the state trying to mandate how we're supposed to react. And so that's kind of the genesis, I think, of a lot of these positions like sanctuary to a sanctuary counties. How does that fight? How does that fight way out against the state measures? Well, the uh, it's still it's still playing out right now. So um, one of the most recent jurisdictions or two of the most recent jurisdictions to adopt Second Amendment sanctuary ordinances or Second Amendment preservation ordinances. And what those are for your listeners is the local jurisdiction. Some of them are done by ballot measures. Some are done by city councils or county commissions. Um, adopt an ordinance that essentially says our jurisdiction is not going to recognize either we're not going to spend budget money, we're not going to spend resources on enforcement of these measures, or we simply are not um, going to recognize these as being enforceable laws by our employees, our uh, police department, those kinds of things. And so how that's shaking out, the two of the most, most recent cases um, are um, Columbia County and Yamhill County. Columbia County, the voters passed a, both a Second Amendment preservation ordinance and a Second Amendment sanctuary ordinance. 
Um, Yamhill County passed its own Second Amendment sanctuary ordinance. Uh, the state of Oregon in those uh, challenged the validity of that. Um, in Columbia County, the state lost and they appealed that loss. Um, in Yamhill County, the county lost and they have appealed um, that ruling. And so these are playing out real time right now. Both of those two cases are my cases. They're ones that we are representing um, the Second Amendment rights folks in those cases. Um, and what the real issue there is, is does the legal issue from a legal perspective is does the state's criminal statutes that prohibit certain things relating to firearms prevent a local jurisdiction, we call it uh, preempt, do they preempt a local jurisdiction from being able to have its own ordinances that in some way, shape, or form, um, if you want to call it deregulate or ignore or refuse to enforce otherwise valid state laws? So that's, I mean, that's a fascinating fight because I'm big in this, in the county-by-county county fight. Where does the sheriff come into play in there? Um, the sheriff comes into play in... A couple of ways. In the Second Amendment Sanctuary Ordinances, some versions of it give the sheriff the duty or at least ability to try to interpret whether the sheriff thinks um, firearms laws or ammunition laws are constitutional and sometimes directs that sheriff to exercise that discretion to not enforce things that they think are unconstitutional. Um, in the bigger picture, the legal analysis is... Sheriffs are um, arguably um, state statutory officers. That's what the Department of Justice argues. And there's some, some degree of some merit to that partially because they are created by statute. However, um, it's been forever, always throughout the history of Oregon, that sheriffs and local district attorneys have both prosecutorial discretion and enforcement discretion. What that means is, you know, the old analogy of when you're speeding down the freeway, they they can pull you over. And just because they didn't pull the person in front of you over doesn't mean they can't pull you over. They have discretion on who and when they enforce which laws. It's not as if they the, the state or the county or the city police have to prosecute in uh, jail every person that violates every criminal statute. And so that's the interplay that's taking place right now in the courtrooms is, is where do the where are those lines drawn and where you know can we get uh, president setting courts to set those those requirements. Sherry, these are some pretty high profile cases, and I'm sure you're getting feedback in a community level and as a mom, both positive and probably negative, knowing how the left likes to play their cards. What types of things are you engaged with? What types of things are you having to deal with? And how are you handling all that? Well, Scott, uh, you know, I think God put me in the place, uh, you know, that he wanted me to be in. I didn't want to run for school board. I had, you know, a couple, uh, you know, friends that have, that were on the board. And I always said that I would support them, you know, behind the scenes and so forth. But um you know, when you're asked and you're called by God to do something, you know, you listen. And I remember, you know, just being in, in, in church one Saturday and 
listening to scripture, listening to our songs and just breaking out in tears because it was all about who am I, who am I going to send? Who, who is going to be called to do this? And I just, I overwhelmingly felt the need uh, to run for school board and, you know, with running for school board with, you know, Tyler's cases uh, you know, we certainly have gotten, um, you know, the, the positive for sure uh, from a lot of people in, in our community. Um, I, just myself, speaking of my my school board run, uh, I was able to um, defeat a 30-year um, teacher, principal, head of the union, um, gentleman that had, you know, lifelong resident of, of Canby. And, and Tyler told me when I run, was decided to run that if you do this, you are going to win. And, and so, um, you know, we put all the effort in there and we've gotten tons and tons of support, um, you know, and the backlash has been there and we know that we have targets on our back for the work that we're doing, but this is all, uh, you know, for God's honor and glory. And we know that we're doing the right thing. And as of, as of friends and school board members, as we've talked among ourselves, you know, we just say we have an audience of one. And so we don't let what other people say, what other people think about us, um, deter us from what we're doing. And we are doing God's work, you know, both with the law firm and, you know, myself on school board. And that's what matters. And, you know, we just, we continue to fight the fight every single day. Um, you know, Tyler certainly, I will say gets a lot, lot more attention, you know, with the, with the law firm, you know, beyond just can be, um, but you know, the, the support is there too. And, and that's what keeps us going each and every day and continuing to, to do the work and to, to fight for our kids in these schools. Um, you know, so it's been there, it's been, you know, negative, but there's been a lot of positive too. And that's what keeps us going. So we very much appreciate that. That's awesome. Tyler, I'm going to go back to this county piece because it's near and dear to my heart. We're uh, pretty much being blackmailed by one primary county in the state, which is Multnomah. And then you have your satellites out there. This last measure apparently brought up as many as seven counties in the measure 114. But you know, I'm, I'm always going to be skeptical, especially when, since we have 104% of our voter roll active in voting for a mail-in vote. So we're subject to tremendous amount levels of corruption. That said, I'm trying to just frame this idea of county's initiative to be able to not comply to the state's rules. And I'm going to apply this in a different way rather than just the Second Amendment. Take our vote, for example. This has already been precedent in a number of counties across the nation that they have decided to do paper ballots and voter ID at a county level, and then that's the way they're going to vote for the state. What would prevent a movement in this state of, say, the 30 or 33 red counties to just say we're done with mail-in voting, we're going to in-person ballot voting, and that's the vote we're going to take, and we're defying the state rule? Uh, That's an interesting question. I've never analyzed um, doing that mechanically. but I do know that pursuant to state law, each of the county clerks 
is somewhat um, controlled by, regulated by the Secretary of State. Um, the state statutes do give the Secretary of State a lot of power and a lot of authority. Doesn't mean you couldn't find, you know, I don't, I don't actually have the answer to your question, but just some survey of it doesn't mean you couldn't find a loophole or some way to push back um, against the Secretary of State exerting such, you know, such control. I think that's where we come down to a lot as we're trying to reassert county authority. What I'm hearing here is a fight between state statute and constitutionality. One of the things, one of the things that whether you're talking schools, whether you're talking elections, whether you're talking law enforcement, um, is the concept of the purse strings. So they attach, you know, the state pays for, for instance, for the county voting machines and those kinds of things. So they attach the purse strings to the, to the um, county clerks, just like the schools attach your tax money um, to following and complying with their mandates. You know, so if, if you can find funding sources that do not depend on the state for your operations, then you once again find freedom. So that's, I think, really the biggest way to untie the local jurisdictions from the mandates of the state is finding your own independent funding mechanisms. You know, states, how, how the Oregon Department of Education, for instance, forces this indoctrination of the curriculum and of all these programs and policies is by threatening to take away the state funding. Mm -hmm. So, And that's, that's like 80% of school funding comes from Department of Education, even though that comes from your state, your local tax revenue. So if you can, if you can uncouple the funding, then you can take away their control. So just to kind of close the loop on this with measure 114, why could we not do something like this? Just, I'm curious if we decided as a county to say that we're going to issue a county permit for firearms and it was going to be issued by the sheriff what would prevent that from happening is you wouldn't need the state police involved and, and the sheriff can do the background check and even directly with the FBI. Um, well, let me play devil's advocate just for a second to try and, you know, help, help the cause along the state would come in and the state would try to argue that their licensing system, their permitting system is statewide. Therefore it preempts any kind of a different, unique local um, program. That's what they would try to argue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, finding the alternative to that and saying, no, maybe our, our program is, you know, different, um, separate, it would have to be done or else the state could probably, you know, at least try to make that argument. So we're really sitting in an architecture of almost like a corporate and corporate subsidiary architecture. If I, if I'm understanding this correct, is that right? Yes. Even the, even the home rule counties, you know, early in the late 1800s and early 19, or 1900s, when home rule counties really started getting going, they believed, and it was the common belief that that created much more autonomy. But as the law in various different stages has progressed and they've passed more and more statutes governing, you know, all cities and all counties, the home rule um, function has become less and less. And there's very little distinction anymore between a home rule county and a statutory um, county. Is that just at a state level or has that been supported by Supreme Court rulings? Um, it's the state level. You know, the U.S. Supreme Court 
um, those are not really federal issues. So the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't get involved in non-federal issues. Okay, interesting. So, Sherry, let's talk a little bit about your work on the school board and those three people that don't have much of a spine. And I'm just curious how what you're doing to make a change because obviously they're there by popular vote or some fashion of that, and they've decided not to exercise their strength of their position. And at the same time, you're in a small community. These sorts of things of going after three individuals can be very divisive. So you're balancing a number of things in the politics and the, especially at school board, because a lot of parents are involved. So how is this, how are you handling this approach? Because we need people that are strong. We, we don't have any more room for weakness in this nation. Yeah. And we, uh, we, we realized that um, we thought we were going to have the majority if myself and one other school board member won our races last year. And that did happen, but the very first vote that came up voting for the chair of the board, we immediately knew that myself and two others were going to be in the minority and that there was going to be this, this struggle, this divisive board, even though, like I said, we are essentially a six one. And so essentially what the three of us have tried to do is, you know, basically pick your battles, right? Um, in terms of the books, I'll, I'll bring that one up as um, as a win for us. So, you know, you have these books like Gender Queer and Lawn Boy and Homebody that have been found in our in our libraries. And so at least on that front, you know, once we exposed uh, the books that we've had um, and literally, you know, show the content, show the book to other board members. We have uh, been able to get rid of some of them. We are now going back and reviewing the process as to how books get into our schools. And we've been working with our, our superintendent, who I will say is, is better than most. But, uh, you know, we're looking at reviewing these processes that books are not just coming in, we are having a review committee. We are bringing in not only, um, you know, parents and community members into that review versus, you know, just having teachers and librarians be the ones to review and approve these types of materials. And, you know, so I would say on that front, we were united and we all saw a problem, you know, with the books. And we've had, you know, book displays, banned books and so forth in which, Again, these books are being promoted in our schools. And, you know, nine out of 10 of the top books that have been banned are all these, you know, highly sexualized books. And so when you advertise banned books, what does that do? It sparks curiosity, you know, to kids to go and, and look at them and read them. And so, so we've worked on that front. And I will say that you know, um, that was a win. Where we have struggled is, for example, you know, during COVID, we, some of us were willing to, to stand up to, you know, the mask mandate, the vax mandates and so forth and risk losing the funding that Tyler was talking about. And it's in those situations, whenever there is funding tied is when those who, you know, we think we're together are not. 
they're the ones at that time that don't have the spine and the backbone to make a tough decision and defy, you know, what's coming down from, from the state. And so it's just, it's been a struggle, but we are trying to influence and educate uh, the other board members as much as we possibly can. Um, you know, the three of us often pray before and after meetings for, you know, God to give us the the wisdom as to how to, to speak um, and to give us the, the direction, you know, that he wants us to go in, in this position. And so we, you know, we're looking right now to begin strategizing for this next um, election cycle, which will be uh, in May, and and looking for some good candidates to hopefully be able to flip one more seat, because it's at that point that we would have the majority, and I think that we could really, really start to make some some changes. Uh, one of the big areas that we would like to start is getting cameras in the classrooms, and and that's for a variety of reasons, you know, be, beyond the the safety and so forth, we want to know, you know, what teachers are teaching, you know, what, what are they saying to our kids? What, what verbiage are they using in terms of this whole, you know, indoctrination, whether it's, you know, CRT or social emotional learning or the whole, you know, transgender ideology, pronouns and so on and so forth. We want to uh, be able to see and hear what is going on, you know, in the classrooms and to be transparent to our community. I think that's one of the biggest things that we have tried to, to do in terms of the things that we wanted to talk about and bring up in board meetings is trying to be transparent, you know, with our community. And we have reached out and I have met specifically um, along with my other two uh, board members and just sitting down and listening to our parents, listening to what is going on. We actually had an incident at the beginning of the school year of a, a transgender in the girls' locker room. And he had a phone, which we were told there was no pictures actually taken with the phone. Uh, and that is in violation you know, of the school policy. But this really got the community... Uh, woken up, I guess I would say, um, and and realizing what's actually going on, you know, in our schools. And so we've made some changes, you know, there again, we would like to make greater changes and um, really challenge these uses of Title IX uh, policies and so forth from the, the federal government in terms of, you know, allowing you know, boys to be on girls sports and to be able to use whatever bathrooms and so on and so forth. Um, but again, we try to, you know, band-aid these, these issues by accommodating them. Right. So, so a transgender boy comes into the locker room and now we have to build security stalls or individual stalls for, for girls to be able to go and change in and have privacy so they're not having to change with boys in the locker room. So, you know, we're accommodating the one or the very, very few. And, you know, that's obviously been a, a societal 
problem that's been going on for many, many years. And that, you know, whoever screams and barks the loudest, that's who we all cave to. And, you know, it's been it's been real difficult in having these conversations, you know, with superintendent, with uh, building uh, administration, as well as as parents, because everybody's hands are tied. Our hands are tied because of what happens at our state level. And I would say that that's probably one of the main frustrating points of being on school board is that the governor and the state legislature are trying to tie our hands behind our backs as much as possible as far as state standards and what's being taught in our schools. You know, with these Title IX um, policies and, you know, the, like I said, the whole transgender issue and the CRT, the sexuality of, of our students in these health curriculums, you know, we're, we're able to pick and, um, and choose the curriculum as a school board for our district. But there again, we, ha- we still have to meet these state standards. So when they put in the standards of critical race theory being a part of your social studies curriculum, still has to be in there. We can't just say no, right? It has to, we, we're still having to meet these standards. And so you're forced into it. And, you know, this is where, again, you know, I will continue to advocate to pull kids from, from public school because no matter what, it's these things are still going to get taught, even, even in a smaller, more conservative community you know, like can be where we may not be full blown talking about it, you know, throughout all of our, our subjects and all throughout the day, it's still being taught and we're still touching on it. Tyler, this strikes right at what we were kind of just touching at. And it's this kind of undercurrent of frustration that's just boiling in this state. And you can see it just in talking to people there's a real concern there because there's a certain point where people are going to tip. There's a, there's a, there's a breaking point. As an attorney, you're in a really very, and I don't mean this in a negative way. You're in a privileged position to be able to see avenues through the law where people don't see it or don't understand it. In addition to that, you also have a, a real solid understanding that there's a patient process that has to be done to do this legally that in the end can result in some significant changes. But nonetheless, we have a rabid left that's constantly trying to push the buttons of everybody. What's your words on that? Because this is a, this is where you kind of are the voice of reason here. And as someone who's fighting for conservative values, you're, you're, you're trying to uphold the, the right of our constitution. And yet you yourself are having to wade through this quagmire of insanity and this this flood of just for lack of I mean I'm going to be kind about it it's a flood of stupidity that's coming in and going after our children our families and our values. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because that's exactly what I was just going to want to talk about is I see it every single day between uh, politics, law, jobs, education, you know my various different types of clients. Um, there is. Like you said, there is a fervor. There is just a where some people are boiling over, and then you know 
for instance, those people, oftentimes my clients or other people that I'm just, you know, activists with, you see, and there's still the human nature and the modern human nature of, I want an instant fix. And so often that is not um, capable under our you know, bureaucratic mess of a tangled web society that we live in these days of happening. You've got to know, that's why I like your idea of, of county by county is because so many people, good, good, wholesome people, smart people, successful people are wholly ignorant about certain things. And you can tell people, I was just at a um, sporting event at a private school recently and told somebody about one of the stories that's going on in the public school. And they were like, no, you're joking. You're kidding. That's actually allowed. They actually do. And that permeates society. I mean, your listeners are probably way more tuned in than your average citizen. And I think that's the case. You know, it's the 80-20 rule where 80% of the population does not have a clue about most of these issues because they're just living their lives. They're making ends meet. They're trying to take care of their kids. And they don't know the intricacies of one, how to fix the problem or two, what the problems are. And so I see it all the time where they say, this just happened to me. Can you believe it? And I'm like, yeah, we've been fighting this for 10 years or yeah, this is how they're set up or yeah, they're allowed to do that. And so your county by county kind of whether it's podcasting or organizing or whatnot can, can be one of those kinds of tools that starts to inform people, whether you call the town crier or the alarms or sets off the sirens or alerts people or finds the, you know, situations that where the world is just going crazy. Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, a great idea, possibly an outlet for that kind of, um, you know, advocacy and education and you know, information sharing. Um, you know, for instance, in the education world, there's a brand new organization getting started called the uh, Community School Boards of Oregon, which is not an organization that's tied to the Oregon Department of Education. It's a community-based, a grassroots-based, a local-based um, organization to help in the education world. And so there's, there's, and that's similar to kind of what you, what you, you know, apparently are, are trying to do with the County by County podcasts and, you know, some of those uh, great ideas that can be, um, you know, sort of, you know, the light and darkness for how do you do this? What, what's, what are the problems and how do we fix them? And I see it every day. It's a sad story and it, and it, but just like you said, it repeats itself over and over where people come to the attention that there's these problems, whether it's indoctrination in schools or the shutting down of their first amendment rights, the shutting down of their religious liberties, the shutting down their second amendment rights. And they're like, this can't be the case, but we have to fight back. One thing you both have talked about here, which is inspiring, and it is the daily commitment to the fight, which is I hope everybody hears. Another question on this, though, Tyler, and that's just using the legal system as, um, as a weapon rather than just as a way to get back to where we were. When I say that in, in the true sense of lawfare, it would seem to me that the state at a certain point can't win every fight. You've pointed that out with Yamhill County, and the other county, I think you think you said Columbia, is that right? Columbia. Columbia County with the sanctuary piece. Well, I think the lesson in there, at least that I'm hearing, is if counties are, can continue to fight for these, make these measures, pass them locally, flood the state to where the state's going to have to constantly be on the defensive, there is a real avenue there towards breaking the system down that they've tried to create. Is that a fair assessment? 
Absolutely. And what I've found, you know, the, the people talk about the power of the state and it is true. They've got way more attorneys than any individual can afford to hire. And, you know, they move so fast. You talk about the legislature when they start giving these, you know, four hour notices before they pass bills and the way they can churn out administrative rules, you know, breathtaking speed, you know, whether it's in an emergency or even regular administrative rules. And so how do you challenge and fight all of that? Well, you can because they're going so fast. I've found it to be the case where oftentimes they didn't really check to see if what they were doing is legal. And so you can catch them. You can find where they violated this rule or that rule or this requirement or this constitutional protection um, you know, very frequently. Um, so you can do it offensively, defensively. You know, the initiative process, local government control, passing your own ordinances um, are all great ways to take it on the offense. That's fantastic. Sherry, why don't you give us some words here just to, to moms and to families that are fighting for their kids, what you would say to them as we move forward here? Well, Scott, you know, being on the school board and and, and seeing what is going on in our schools I mean, honestly, the words that I have for parents is to get involved. Too many times I have seen parents, you know, kind of hand hand their kids off to the school system and expect them to to educate them. And so I'm going to say, you know, get involved with your kids' education. And, you know, if that means that you can homeschool them or send them to, you know, a private school or have a pod of some sort, you know, that's where you're going to make the biggest impact for, for your kids and their education, get them, get them out of the system. It's, it's not going to get any better, uh, especially, you know, in the near future, I can only see it getting worse. Um, But we only have one chance to raise these kids and it's going to take sacrifice. Um, I've seen it firsthand, you know, I mean, yes, you know, I've been helping with Tyler and, and his office and, you know, I had a, I had a career in the, in the technology world and, you know, we decided that it was, it was best for me to, to stay home and raise our kids. And, and while, you know, that's been difficult at times, I've been lost, you know, at times as far as who I am as a person, um, I wouldn't go back and change it because my kids are everything and we only have them for so many years to make an impact and to make a positive impact on them. And so I just, I just want to give, give parents the encouragement that yes, there is a sacrifice in this, but the sacrifice in the end is a greater gift than you could ever give them by sending them to a public school. And it'll come back to you, you know, many, many times over, you know, maybe, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but I know well into the future that, you know, these kids that are under the umbrella of mom and dad, um, you know, will have a far, far brighter future then leaving them in, in public school. And so I just say, you know, get involved, take action, you know, get them, get them out. If you can, if, if you can't, for some reason, you know, get your kids out of a public school, I would say watch and be involved, see what's going on, hear what's going on, engage with your child 
as much as you possibly can each and every day to know what is being talked about at school. What, what, what is the teacher saying? You know, many parents don't, don't know what their kids um, are going through because they're not having these, these conversations. And so even though we're in difficult times and, you know, you pray about it and you, you do it where the Lord leads you and, you know, you don't, don't question, even, even if you, even if you think that you're not able to, to homeschool or to run a pod, or if you can't make, you know, the, the financial, um, ability, you know, to send your kids to private school. God can do amazing things. And, and we know from this show, we've seen it happen where it will unfold and, and what God wants to have happen will have happen. And, um, you know, it's, it's not an easy road, but it will be one that will be blessed many times over in the future. Well said. Tyler, when you're dealing with these cases, if you were to sum up some things that would make a significant difference from you, from your perspective, from a community level and community level awareness and activism, what would you tell people? Um, I always tell my clients in these various different circumstances to really check the law, check the rules. You got to understand the rules of the game in order to sort of push back. You know, that's one of the things that I think is a major um, you know, mistake that people make, they get, you know, wronged in some way, shape or form. And then they don't, um, study the rules of the game, whether you're talking, you know, an actual game chess or basketball or something, you've got to understand how the pieces move, what the rules are in order to even have a chance of coming out victorious. So that's what I'd encourage people to get, get in touch with somebody that's knowledgeable in the topic, whether it's, you know, school board disciplines and complaint processes, whether it's the law, whether it's your taxes, whether it's, you know, setting up your own, you know, farming community or your own political activists or donating to political causes. People make simple mistakes that could have been avoided if they did their homework first. So educate yourself um, about the, you know, the battle, the game, the, uh, about your adversary and how you can overcome, you know, and win that game. That's probably the best general advice that I could give to somebody. From a legal perspective, where would you suggest people begin? Cause that's probably one of the hardest areas to understand in our society currently. It is, it's, it's a quagmire. Um, it's so complex. Um, you know, understanding, you know, the constitution people, that's where people have gotten it. You know, thank God people have really started to focus on the constitution and understand it, but there are so many layers of cases and interpretations, which whether we like them or not are currently binding upon us that come down, you know, underneath those, you know, constitutional clauses and those constitutional phrases. So understanding that degree and that level of nuance is, is what's actually required. You know, I hear people saying, you know, shall not be infringed, you know, in regard to the second amendment. Well, that's great. But the court, you know, you go to tell that to a police officer and they're going to say, well, sorry, that's not what, that's not the laws we're applying anymore. That's only just those words. That doesn't mean what the Supreme court has said they mean. 
Um, so you've got to, you know, you can't get stuck just on catchphrases. So look up your statutes, you know, get familiarized in Oregon with the Oregon revised statutes. They're searchable, they're text searchable. You can, um, you know, the, there's a, le- a whole nother level. For instance, in the education world, when I'm talking to uh, parents that are aggrieved, you can file complaints against the teachers. There's a thing called the Teacher Standards and Practices Act, which all teachers have to comply with, and they all have to be licensed under that, and they could all potentially have their license taken away if they're in violation of the Teacher Standards and Practices Act. I tell, I tell parents all the time that, you know, have you ever filed a complaint? If, if you did, was the complaint swept under the rug? Did they actually escalate it to a level of where anybody that was actually not, you know, eating lunch with that teacher could review the complaint? Probably not. Most of the times they get sort of bureaucratically stopped along the way. Um, so the, understanding the process, reviewing your roles for school districts, you all, every school district has a set of policies. You can read those policies. You'll understand then, do you actually have a right to speak at the public meeting or not? You know, can you, when do you have to submit your comments? All those kinds of things activists frequently trip themselves up on because they just don't know the rules of the game. How can people support what you're doing best? Sherry had mentioned that you were, um, had been talking about, you know, some of the veterans that had had to quit or even been terminated over the vaccine mandate. We are looking for um, good um, attorneys. We're always, um, you know, keeping our eyes open for um, good attorneys at our firm. That's definitely something, you know, if there was somebody that's, you know, maybe an old JAG officer or somebody that wanted to, um, you know, change over and do a different career, we'd certainly be interested in seeing resumes from uh, quality attorney candidates. Um, that's definitely something from the firm side that uh, could be helpful. That's outstanding. And we'll make sure everybody hears that because that's a, that's a really good thing. Folks, this has been a great interview, truly. And I, I want to compliment you both because it's very inspiring to get these two perspectives here as both the fighting for the family and the legal realm, because we don't get that very often. As we always do, we close with a prayer. And I, if it's okay, I'll lead a prayer. Please. Thank you, Scott. Okay. Father, I just want to thank you for this blessed meeting and just pray for both Sherry and Tyler, just to give them the, the resources that they need to continue this amazing fight. That These are two voices that just stand out in a, in a sea of, of, of a lot of uh, confusion that are really providing some clarity and some inspiration to the many, especially in the time and a place where we feel so pressured and feel so much being stripped away from us. Just ask that you'll continue to bless them, open the doors that they need to be opened so that they can continue this fight to inspire this nation, inspire the people in the community to stand up and truly be strong in in your name and in the Holy Spirit. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Folks, thank you very much. Thanks for all you're doing to try and find some solutions to this mess and help people out. Serve the Lord at the same time. Sherry, I want to thank you very much for reaching out. This is wonderful. So thank you. Yes. Thank you, Scott. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a very blessed day. God bless you both. We'll be in touch. I'm, I'm, and Sherry, I'll reach out to you. I, we want to talk about some things offline, but uh, definitely want to have a, a face-to-face at some point. We can talk and kind of um, build some greater strategies, especially on this county-by-county fight. So I look forward to that as well. Wonderful. Thank you, guys. God bless. Have a very blessed day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, Patriots, that was Sherry and 
Tyler Smith, great couple that have um, been waging a great fight here in Oregon and the same type of fight that really needs to be going on in every state. Liberalism is a disease. It's a disease of the mind. It's a disease of the entitled. It's a disease of a decadent culture, and it must be squashed at all costs. And that's going to continue to be part of our mission statement forever until liberalism is gone off this planet forever and ever and ever. So, Patriots, thank you for being here. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs, and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country.
old evil that has waited thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.